Okay, Brent, do you think you got one more in you? Always for you, Todd. Really? You're going to have to <laughs> squeeze it out? Do, do we need to take a bathroom break or some kind of uh, – What what? I used to work with a guy that called it, called it a fluid balance problem. Uh, no, I, I, I think holding on puts the pressure <laughs> on me to get to get through this podcast. Hey everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. How art thou? It's been another week. I know it didn't feel like it, but oh yes, it's been another week. And that's kind of an exciting part of the story we tell is that time progresses forward. Now, I don't know what you think about time. I don't even know if you think about time at all. But let me blow your mind. And that is time is a construct. It is made up, baby. Time does not really exist. We, collectively, as a human race, and not everybody plays the game the same way we do, have given time its value. And what's weird is that we not only gave time its value, but we gave it linear superiority. So we say it moves progressively forward. But our friends and neighbors in the quantum physics world would actually have quite a little argument with us. Because quantum physics says the time doesn't necessarily move in a linear fashion. And what you don't know while you're listening today, driving your truck down the road, is that we're actually now moving backwards. I am actually sucking intelligence out of your head. That's the value you're getting by listening to the podcast today. How'd that go? Is that all right? I mean, I'm just I'm just out there kind of woodshedding it, but that's what I want to do. Today is a great day because there's a part two to the amazing Brent podcast that we just heard. In fact, what's crazy about this part two is the amount of feedback we got on how much you loved part one. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was a six-star event. And you know Uber only lets you give five. So that means you have to write the six-star in with a Sharpie on your phone, which is a long-term commitment to quality. But we're not afraid to do that. I talked to Brent into staying for one more little conversation. And I want to share that with you guys because I actually think that, my friends, is a really fitting thing for us to be thinking about in the beginning of the year, like we're doing, the the kind of hangout time we're having to do that. Hope you're good. Hope everything's going well. I'm still on the same bicycle, so so far so good. Knock on some wood. We're here for that. Let's let's move forward and see what Brent says to the next set of questions that I ask because they're big ones. All right, Brent Sutton, Kiwi native, proud New Zealander. Is that what you guys are called, New Zealanders? Yeah, New Zealanders, Kiwis. Yeah, so, yeah I like Kiwi. Yeah. And that's not derogatory? No, no, no it's a flightless bird. It <laughs> eats roots and leaves. It <laughs> eat, eats roots and leaves. Yeah. That's the same thing you guys do at an All Blacks game. Exactly. Eat, root for the team, and yeah, then leave. And leave. 
Yeah, so it's, it's that's commitment. Yeah, that is that's commitment in every sense of the word. So, needless to say, the last conversation was earth-shattering and amazing. Uh, it kind of is. I mean, it sort of was though, because when you look at the four Ds on the surface, they just seem so. Uh, dare I say this? And correct me. It's just so obvious. I mean, it's just kind of nose on your face kind of thing. I mean, they're just really obvious, and yet. You're tapping into really around the globe with the organizations that are hanging out with you or lucky enough to hang out with you. You're tapping into some deeper, deeper, deeper understanding of really work as normal. And we've talked about this a bunch because one of the things that's happening, well, there's two things that are happening that I should probably start with to sort of set the tone. One is is that the idea of observing normal work has really gotten trendy and hip. And lots of people are saying, hey, I can help your company observe normal work. Well, so I would say to that, that first and foremost, your company already has the ability to observe normal work. You're doing it every single day. It's just not you. It's the people doing the normal work. Because they do normal work all the time, they can tell you where the work's robust and resilient where there's lots of good legs, it's thoughtful, it's well-designed. They can also automatically tell you with very little effort where the work's fragile and brittle and not terribly well-designed and prone to fail. So this observation of normal work is not some gimmicky thing that you buy off the shelf. Not that I'm dogging anyone. I don't mean to sound that way. But it's not something you have to buy. It's really a shift in thinking, or, Brent, if I may, a change in the lens. Did I use that correctly? Yep, it's change in the lens. Right? And, and so the ability to look at work and understand what normal looks like, or Eric's question, one of the best questions in the world, what's happening when nothing bad's happening? And that's a really, really powerful question. But to do that, you have to establish what Amy Edmondson calls dutifully psychological safety. But really, it's so much more than that. It has to be okay to speak the truth. And in order for it to be okay to speak the truth, because trust is not something you grant to people. It's something you're given. So in order for you to speak the truth, you have to create an environment where it's okay to hear the truth. And one of the things about dumb, dangerous, different, and difficult is that it, it really does mean people are going to tell you to your face that your baby's kind of ugly. Fair enough? Look, it, it, it is the ugly mirror. Um, and my observations have been, Todd, that uh, organizations are really good at telling, but organizations really struggle to listen. I, I think I would agree with you. The, and the funny thing is that the listening is hard because of the barriers we have in the way we think about the work now. So th th let me give you an example, Brent, because you're giving me the look like I don't have mirrors in my house. Um, if we go to an investigation, and the one thing you and I share um, which is kind of unique to us. I mean, not not unique to us, but it's a unique part of our relationship is that we're both investigators, that we both have done many, many, many investigations. 
And so we've seen some horrific things and had to, maybe a better way to say this is we've had to give some horrific truths to organizations. We've had to tell organizations stuff they don't want to hear. Fair enough? Yep. Okay. So what's interesting to me about this is that the organization is often so biased in understanding how they failed to prevent the accident that they're not able to hear how they failed to control the accident. Does that make sense? I think that's absolute fear that they have. Yeah. And that creates uncertainty yeah. about hearing what normal work looks like. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I think it biases normal work because I think it's, it's so much more than the assumption is if work is going on and nothing bad happens, then nothing bad happened because we know that's not true. I mean, we, we know that people are constantly detecting and correcting in real time all the time. In highly adaptive systems, that's the nature of the beast. And the pandemic helped us learn that. Um, I don't know if it helped us learn it, but it certainly helped senior managers around the globe learn that what holds their organization together are highly adaptive workers who, in all kinds of conditions, can make sense of the world and move forward. But that bias is something that is really important to I want to say beat, but that's the wrong. That bias is a very important thing to tear down. I, I, I would, I would even twist it. Yeah, do that, twist that, away, my brother. That we're asking the organisation to shift their lens from seeing this as a threat to seeing this as an opportunity. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Take the rest of the day off. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and, and take a dollar out of petty cash on your way out the uh, out the door. That's how good that is. Or a kiwi. What do you guys? What do you guys call your money in New Zealand? Kiwis. Uh, it's, yeah, Is everything just, a kiwi? In- no, no. <laughs> well, certainly not. We're not allowed to. You can't get it from KFC and McDonald's. <laughs> we have problems with that. Okay, but just, just the, the NZ dollar. There you go. There yeah. you go. Uh, look, and I think you know. At the end of the day, the the traditional mechanisms that we're using, even when people are looking at everyday work, they are still intervention based. They are sampling things. And the problem there, Todd, if you're only sampling, that doesn't give you any predictive nature at all. Yeah, you're right. And the thing that the four Ds, the whole idea of the four Ds was to shift it to being a worker-led program that the organization supports rather than it being an organizational intervention. Yeah. Because I can't think of many workers that say, hey, Todd, come on down, looking forward to that safety observation. Yeah, exactly. Come audit me, will you? Yeah. If you get yeah, an extra, extra three hours, come audit me. Yeah. I, I haven't had a good auditing in a while. And that ownership by the workers at the front line, people don't realize um, how important that is to their psychological well-being. Yeah. So let's let's put psychological safety aside because we don't need to establish psychological safety with the four Ds for the workers. What we have to be aware of is that the organisation doesn't try and weaponise it and use it as a way of finding fault. So how do you get leaders to feel brave enough or confident enough 
to actually hear the truth about their organization. Yeah. And, and that seems like a dumb question no. until you go into the field and you realize that's actually not a dumb question a at all. Great question. And what we've had to do is we've had to give a little model for the leaders to use for the four Ds. And we've called it um, listen, learn, then lead. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, they go out to the field. Um, they are simply there to listen. You know, they're, they're looking at a particular activity or a task, whatever it may be. Um, they're focusing not on the people; they're focusing on the system itself. And they're not rudging, They're not jumping to any form of judgment because this whole notion of find and fix is so strong for leaders. Yeah, they believe if they know something, they have to go and fix it. Well, it's kind of how they define themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we get the leaders to get together and reflect on their individual learnings. And they effectively run their own little 4D session themselves. So sustaining that excitement or that paradigm shift or that new way of the listen, learn, lead, how do you – how do you sustain that? How do you keep them? Because as soon as something bad happens, I can envision going right back to the blame and punish, blame and punish, blame and punish. Or I know better than you know. I don't hire you to think. I hire you to work. I could put a million in here. Uh, look, I, I think, once again, I, we, we talked earlier about um, one of the comments that, that Rob Fisher made to me this week, that by doing this, learners begin, they separate the difference between the event and the error component. Right. Man, that's a powerful idea. Yeah. I wonder if people think about that. No, they don't. That you, you have to separate the mistake from the event. Correct. And treat them separately. Yeah. Well, and, and I would say, and this is sort of the addition I'd put on, is that the mistake is kind of the least interesting part of the event. That is correct. Whereas at the moment, it's the main part that they focus Yeah, yeah, yeah. On. Well, it's because it's the cause. Yes. And when I said cause, you guys, I put little fake air quotes in the air. Yeah. Um, and the other component is that if the leadership can see the operational value in this, then I think they are more prepared to listen. So how do you till that soil? How do you get leaders ready to see operational value? Yeah, so, so uh, hence the other concept we have called the Trojan Mouse. <laughs> now that feels very Jeff Lithian to me. It does, it does. And, and it basically is to go out and to choose something and to show them how the stories from the 4Ds can lead to operational improvement and operational excellence. And, and this is the best part of it. You can measure operational improvement. You can't measure the safety gain, yeah. but you can measure the operational improvement yeah, gain. That's a really good point because you can't measure the absence of a null set. So you can't measure what yeah. didn't happen, but you can measure performance improvement. Correct. In lots of different ways, actually. Absolutely. And that is where those managers start to buy in because what they've realized is that what we're now doing is we're now moving above safety. We're Which now, seems to be a key. 
right? Absolutely. And and my guess is, although correct me if you're not going here, um, and we should have rehearsed probably if I'm going to take you astray, but my guess is is that the key to sustainability is to make it beyond safety. Correct. Has to, has to be. It has to, if you want this to be normal practice how we do things around here, it has to cut across all parts of the business. And, you know, we've we certainly seen that in some projects that we ran in the maritime sector for, for two and a half years these projects happened, that um, this is normal now. The four Ds is normal in customer services team, yeah. dealing with, dealing with um, passenger interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's normal with the engineering team doing vessel maintenance. It's just normal. And... Something really interesting happened, Todd, that the safety teams told us that they hadn't realised how unhealthy it was using the old method method of interventions. They hadn't realised that not, not only by looking everything through the lens of deficit, through the lens of threat, not only was that unhealthy for the workers, it was actually unhealthy for them as the safety person. But because they were in that tunnel, they couldn't see it. Yeah. We brought them outside that tunnel, and many of them have said to us, we cannot go back. Well, why, why would you go back to that stress? I mean, if you think about what you just said, I think is really important, is that the traditional way we've managed this work is by fear and intimidation, I mean, we have lots of fancy words for it, but but ultimately... Yeah, that's the basis of it. That's kind yeah. of where we went. And so, of course, that causes really negative mental health conditions throughout the organization, certainly for the workers who are the target of that, but to the safety team or the management team, that's also incredibly stressful to them as well. It's that hidden stress, too. It's that stress you don't realize you have until you remove it, and you think, well, this feels different. Yeah, because they've been conditioned. They've just been conditioned. And and that's the difference between understanding why things go right rather than focusing why they go wrong. So that's a really interesting point, and it kind of leads me to the reason I ask you to to do a second pod is what do you think the future of learning – because you're someone now who's thought a lot about how organizations learn. In in our arena, I mean, there's lots of people who think about how organizations learn, but nobody is looked at it really around high risk, highly adaptive, critical operations. You know, the 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 work we do, the work everybody. I mean, the people that listen to this podcast are pilots and doctors and nurses and safety people and mariners and uh, I mean this. It, these are all people that do this kind of high-risk work. What do you see as the future for this kind of thinking? Are, are we at the cusp of a change, or is that just entirely too egotistical and too Pollyanna-ish? No, look, I, I think we're getting there. Um, and it's, it's actually, I think the timing of it is right, because we're also seeing some other external factors that have come about post-pandemic. We know that we're in the middle of what we call the great resignation debate. We, we know that the turnover, uh, some organisations now, 
their 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 entire staff are turning over every three years. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really common. Yeah, and and it's got to be frightening as can be to these people. Absolutely. I mean, you're p- putting aside the aged. Uh, aging workforce. Hey, did you almost say aged workforce? Yeah. Well, the yeah. workforce is aged. Yeah. <laughs> I resemble. I feel like I resemble that. Yeah. Remark. Well, I'm I'm in the camp. That's right. Um, and the thing here is that our systems are becoming more brittle as a result. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously. Well, obviously, it was a patronizing thing to say. But as you lose experience, I mean, one of the things that I think is remarkable is that we've traditionally counted on workers to fill this gap, right? We all, that's why we're here. We know that. And there's a lot of stuff workers know that we'll leave with them that is, it may not be a non-trainable skill, but it's not a quickly trainable skill. Like listening to a process and knowing the process is going bad because it sounds different. Yeah, that, 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 that how art, do you, the, how do you teach? Form, yeah, how, you, you can't. I, you, I, you can't teach it. No. I mean... No, you, you you can't, and and even and even if you could, um, all that intellectual element has left the building with those workers that have gone. Yeah. So I I think there's this really interesting opportunity that we have, where we can be using these hot principles, we could be using learning teams, we can be using the four Ds to actually create more infield learning. That is driven by the front line and supported by the organization. Well, so let me ask the question, the elephant in the room question. And that is, how do we code that information so that that information becomes savable, documentable, archivable, and then how do we communicate that learning across the enterprise? Because that question... I get it all the time. I get it all the time. And one of the things that bugs me is that we let the fear of it's difficult to manage this learning in an administrative way get in the way of actually doing the learning. Because we don't have a good way to learn this across the enterprise, screw it, we just won't learn it. Yeah, and and look, right at the moment we're about a year into – uh, validating some things that we've been trialling that have been based around storytelling and storyboarding. So using a narrative-based approach rather than a rules-based or procedural-based approach. Well, and the quick answer there, and again, correct me, but AI, uh, artificial intelligence, or, or the way machines learn and manage information has changed so much so recently that it's much easier to carry, manage, sort, understand narrative-based data because our AI systems are able to manage that data. I mean, think about think about the fact that you can now grab the remote to your TV and talk to it. I mean, that, that's 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 pretty remarkable. Yeah, look, the, this technology is moving at a rapid pace. At the end of the day, um, the brittleness of the system isn't going to improve with our current mechanisms. I mean, we, in a lot well, of so cases, we don't really have 
true continuous improvement. Well, no, it's, you just said something really important, and that is technology is advancing, but that doesn't mean the brittleness of our system is becoming less. Yeah. So what's happening is we're becoming much more technically advanced, but our systems are still just as brittle as they ever were, and in many cases, unfortunately, in the very same places that they always were brittle. And, and I'm, I've been observing some projects where some of this AI tech is actually creating um, complacency. Well, sure. But, but, but I mean, that's, that's a stable system. Well, it's 100% predictable. Yeah. I mean, it's 100. I mean, I mean, let me ask this question, uh, Mr. Car Guy. And by the way, you are a car guy. <laughs> Do you miss having to go out and crank start your engine before you take your trip down to the sundries store to buy sundries? No. No. So some of that complacency is progress. And I mean, there aren't any great buggy whip companies left. You know what I mean? True. And so there's a real, uh, I mean, this is a really interesting conundrum because as the AI and technology makes our system more stable, the system demands less of the operator, right? So you don't have to pay nearly the attention you once had to pay. But the system's still stable until it's not. Do you have an oil pressure gauge in your Tesla? No. Because? <laughs> Luck, luckily. Yeah, yeah, because. It, it, it doesn't have a fire gauge either. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, well, once again, whoever looked at the oil gauge? Yeah, I know. The check engine light was simply an indicator. That's right. And if you put black tape over it. Yeah, it, it went away. It went away. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, what, so what's the future? Well, look, well, the future's not written yet. <laughs> well, that's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, um, but, but I think... That, where, where are you putting your money? Well, what I'm, what I'm putting my money on is particularly around the whole notion of dynamic risk, that we need to move away from this um, rules-based mechanism of, of dealing with the risk that the organizations can't mitigate or control. And moving to more of a, what I call, risk performance-based approach, which is really using a learnings-based model to understand the adaptability that has to be present to complete the work successfully in those dynamic environments. So Corey Pitzer calls that phenomena risk competency. What do you think about that? I mean, you don't have to just. Yeah, I, I'm. I I don't really know because to me, competency is something a little bit different. I mean, what I suppose what we're trying to get to is that true continuous improvement should be looking around the design of the work itself. Fair enough. And the language we're using is better work. Yeah, I like that actually. Okay, and you don't have to be bad to get better. Yeah, so I like work that too. doesn't need to be bad to make it get better. Yeah, and in that in dynamic environment, the system doesn't have the capability to listen. That can only come from people, right? And we need to be able to capture that and then feed that back into that system and create that change. And at the moment, it is the human that is doing that. And the organization doesn't see it. I think that's fair. Yeah. So the organization has to decide 
how it is going to actively listen and treat that model not as a find and fix mentality, but purely a notion of ongoing learning to create better work. I like that. Yep. I like that. Thank you, my friend. That was amazing. See, it was totally worth doing a part two. I don't mind doing part twos because I don't think a podcast should be over about a half hour. I think that's a lot to ask. And sometimes a half hour is not enough time, so why not make it two podcasts and double the fun? It's, it's like a two for one. Buy one, get one free. That's what it's like. And for that to happen, I first and foremost have to thank Brent Sutton. What a super guy. I mean, he's he's amazing. It's um, It's weird that he dresses in all kiwi-colored clothing. But we can talk about that. I mean, that's not even important. He's not here, so he doesn't even know we're having this conversation. But I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have. But mostly this idea that we are in a position where, as an organization, we can deliberately choose to make work better. Holy guacamole. That is a powerful, powerful vision. I think every company should have that written somewhere. That's how good that is. I'm glad you were here. Let's do this again. You want to? Let's meet again next week. Have some fun. Until then, learn something new every single day. I know you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. Check in on each other. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Be safe.